Do you like books? How about building a profitable business that you love? If that is you, then this show is going to be one for the books. We've got the Pumpkin Plan author Mike Michalowicz on with Jules and Christina of Bootstrap Book Club, which all of us, I know, are in. So super excited to talk to him. Make sure that you stick through, through the entire 30 minutes. You're watching the Young Female Entrepreneurs Live Show every Thursday night here at 6 p.m. Pacific at 9 Eastern at yfe.me slash join live or at youngfemaleentrepreneurs.com. Uh, like I was saying, our, t- our episode tonight is episode 44, and we've got the author of The Pumpkin Plan on Mike Michalowicz. We've been reading about, uh, we've been reading the book in the Bootstrap Book Club, which the women of kickstartkitchen.com founded that, and uh, everyone's loved it. The feedback has been phenomenal. The answers and the questions that are happening there are awesome. Jules and Christina did such a good job of making sure that all of the questions are set up for us to give great um, great feedback or uh, to share our experiences behind. So we're going to be talking to him, getting our questions answered about what he was talking about in his book. So I am on the live chat. This is really important, you guys. Go to yfe.me slash join live. If you have questions for Mike, this is your chance. So let's ask him, type him in, tell him, you know, hey, I read this part about your book and I didn't really get it. If you have questions about, what was it, the one one ball guy? Or <laughs> if you have questions about that, maybe you could ask him what's the deal with that guy. Um... Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Mike's saying that would be very awkward. So maybe hold off on that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor, which is, of course, Ovalight.tv. Ovalight TV hosts and produces live video events built to meet your objective. Visit Ovalight.tv to request a free 30-minute consultation today to find out more about going live with your brand. And for those of you that are watching live, you can see me doing my Vanna White stuff. Unfortunately, our guests aren't seeing me being Vanna White, but I am. Uh, so <laughs> let's go ahead and learn a little bit more about Jules and Christina, who will be interviewing Mike, and Mike McCallowitz, the author of The Pumpkin Plan. Mike McCallowitz is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and the author of The Pumpkin Plan and the business quote classic, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. With a popular quirky website, MikeMichalowicz.com, he is a globally recognized entrepreneurial advocate. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and now hosts the business makeover segment on MSNBC's Your Business. Jules Tagger and Christina Floyd envision a future where women have more choices in the type of work that they do. They founded Kickstart Kitchen in order to empower women to escape the cubicle and use their gifts to make a living in a way that makes them feel fulfilled and proud. The Kickstart Kitchen girls also facilitate online communities like the Bootstrap Book Club at kickstartkitchen.com slash book club and Thrive Hive at kickstartkitchen.com slash Thrive Hive, where women gather, connect with each other, and learn. All right, before I welcome in our guests, I want to make sure that people on the Twitter chat that you're being recognized. If you throw, show up the Twitter lower third, throw that up there. Turnip Sea Travel, at Turnip Sea Travel, is saying, wait, 
if this is a book club, where's the line? Which I am totally in agreement with you right now, <laughs> Turnip Seeds. Um, Turnip Seeds uh, Travel, at Turnip Seeds is her hashtag name. And then we've got people sharing pictures, which I'll share probably later. Carissa Dunphy at Caffeine Keyboard. She's saying stoked for YFE chat. So am I. So let's go ahead and welcome in Jules and Christina of Bootstrap Book Club and Mike Michalowicz of The Pumpkin Plan. Thanks so much, Jen. We are really excited to be here and really excited for the opportunity to dig a little bit deeper with Mike on a book that changed the way Jules and I think about a lot of things in our business. It really did have an impact for us and for the businesses of the hundreds of women in our book club. So thank you so much, Mike. It's really nice to meet you and we want to make the most of our time here tonight. So for those uh, that are on with us that have not read The Pumpkin Plan, which They've got to get it. Seriously. Yeah, give a little synopsis of what the book is and what it means to pumpkin plan your business. Maybe your 60-second pitch. Sure, sure. And I am drinking wine, by the way. I wish I had my video. Oh, all right. So, so jealous. Yeah, a little, uh, a little California, too. Sonoma, Sonoma Valley. <laughs> so like uh, the pumpkin plan is this. is I, by a strange occurrence events, uh, met with pumpkin farmers, but not like the ordinary blokes i met with uh, we call ourselves now the lords of the gourds if you want to be in the club and i met with these farmers that grow colossal pumpkins and what i found is they change the growing behavior by a small percentage five percent of things they do is different and these pumpkins respond with explosive growth well i then correlated it to entrepreneurship i, I have been an entrepreneur for for many years now and parlayed what they're doing what they change to entrepreneurship and found that entrepreneurs that are wildly successful, that grow colossal businesses, industry leaders, change the exact same 5%. And that's what the pumpkin plan is about, that 5% change you need to make. So we have been talking about this book for a couple months now in our mm -hmm. book club. And there was one question in particular that we got a little bit of controversy on. And um, it was one that I was kind of surprised at. You say in the book that um, entrepreneurs don't do most of the work. They figure out the systems and they figure out the processes and they, you know, help other people to do the work. Um, and we had several people in our book club say, that's just not the case. It's not, um, I don't identify with that. I'm a bootstrapping entrepreneur and I don't have other employees. I haven't been able to hire yet. What would you say to someone who's just starting out who wants to pumpkin plan their business but maybe hasn't got, quite gotten there yet? So, uh, oh my God, you need to get other people doing it. So if, if we do it ourselves, we're, we're limited. There's only so much time in the day. You can only work so hard. I actually call it the Atlas Syndrome, and this is a little tip off to my next book. I talk about this. And the Atlas Syndrome is this, where we as the entrepreneur carry the weight of the business on our shoulders, and all that weight on our shoulders forces our head to look at our feet. We just look at our own action and say, well, I'm taking, I'm making progress, I'm taking action, but we can't look forward. Well, and, and by the way, we say, well, I have to do the work because anyone else I try to hire, they suck, they can't do it as well as I can. Um, I do so much more efficiently hiring someone, I just don't have the money. Here's a couple things. When we bring someone else on board, if they're not working out, the problem isn't theirs, the problem is ours. We haven't built a system that's effective enough yet for them to execute it perfectly. So when I bring people on board to all my past companies and my current company, even though I'm an author, it's still a business, I have three employees now and growing, I have to build systems where they can replicate the process perfectly. And if they're not delivering, it's the problem with the system. The second thing with the money is like I can't afford to do it. 
it's an investment. It's, it's like just putting like money in the stock market or some other form where you expect a return. You need to invest in your business. First, when you first start out, the investment is solely your time. But if you want to break free of the grind, you have to invest in hiring people, develop perfect systems, constantly work on perfect systems, and then the business can grow without you, without your daily involvement. And for what, what for those people, what would you say for those people that are still maybe in their full-time job? I mean, we uh, work with a lot of women who are working full-time or part-time and they're on the side building a business and their hope is that they can quit their full-time job. Um, so they're doing everything. I mean, is it important to hire right away? Is it important to get, I don't know, interns or something so that you can get some help right away so that you can make that leap? Yeah. So... I would hire sooner rather than later. And the idea here is you will compromise your immediate income, but for a long time return. A lot of us get stuck in this trap, Christina, where where we start building a business, we start bringing a little bit of money, a little bit more, so we start working harder, brings in yet a little bit more, and now we become dependent upon that income. If you if you have a full-time job, great. Adjust your lifestyle to so that full-time job can support it, and then make all the investment in your business. Any revenue that your business generates, push it back into the company. Hire people and observe how they're doing what they do and build the system so they can do it consistently. It's, it's short-term focus on systems for long-term satisfaction. I've just seen so many people say, well, I'm just going to do it myself. I need more money. I need more money. And they stay in this I need more money trap for for decades it's a trap it's it's a freaking trap i'm telling you i can see what that can be really oh no all right cut. so we just had a little a little cut off with jules and christina so what okay, i'm gonna another question sorry jen oh are we back now <laughs> jen are you with us we are, but now we can only uh, hear you, Jules and Christina. Uh, oh, dear. Uh-oh. Well, when Jules, while Jules and Christina uh, work out their video quickly, so they're just going to maybe start and stop their video on Skype. <laughs> uh, so we've got the Twitter chat going strong behind us. So if you're watching live, we're on YFE chat. And as you can see on the lower thirds, we're featuring every once in a while. Oops, sorry, guys. Every once in a while, you'll see us throw up a lower third of the tweets because we want to make sure that we're featuring as many people as possible. And then also, you can see here, um, on if you're on Instagram, uh, we asked you guys to use the hashtag YFE chat and tell us what is uh, what you're spending the night doing. And look, we've got the Stacey Harris on Instagram. She's on the Twitter chat and drinking what looks like is, oh, it says a cocktail. So um, that sounds good to me right now. That's awesome. There you go. (laughs) There you go. All right. So Jules and Christina, how's your mic or your your video camera looking? Can you see us? We're here. No. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, um, and we we actually don't see you either. We shut off our camera, turn back on. We can see our video feed. Oh, there you go. Let's see. It's like you're coming back in. Otherwise, we might just like totally radio style this and just have you guys up on the Twitter chat and we'll just do audio. So, hey, you know what? This is what live is all about, right? (laughs) It's super fun. Rolling with the punches. After party, you better bet I have a glass of wine. So make sure that you stay on the Twitter chat. So take it away, you guys. Thank you so much for being so patient with all of the little um, video issues we're having. 
Right. And it's all really about the question and the answers and the message anyway. So sure. let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, another question that came up in our in our book club, because we saw this happening. People really took action on your book. And I love that about That's your book. We're all about taking action. So they started putting things into practice as soon as they were reading them. And one of the things was, at what point in your business do you, or what are the uh, offerings, what are the operations that it's really good to involve your customers in getting that feedback? And we ask this because we want to know what the best ones are because we saw people that went out and just started asking their customers everything about their business, all the decisions they wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And it got to the point where there was a little bit of uh, appearance of maybe not being as confident in the decisions they were making or not having the right credibility in their business. And so we want to know where do we help people make sure that they're the most productive in getting that type of feedback. Yeah. So the answer is in the little phrase I came up is that people speak the truth through their wallets, not through their words. And uh, I, I had a funny experience with this. I, I was doing a presentation about the pumpkin plan. This is maybe about six months ago to this large entrepreneurial group. There must have been two or 300 people in the room. And I'm like all fired up and I'm drawing charts. I got this brown marker and I'm drawing like all these circles and like this is where your seat is. And as I'm presenting, I have like an itch on my, my forehead. So I scratch my forehead with the marker in my hand and I like totally unibrowed myself. Like <laughs> this huge, like Vulcan unibrow. And no one said anything. Like, like it was so funny because like I'm doing the presentation. I didn't know I did this, but all of a sudden, like everyone starts taking notes and people are like, whispering to each other, but no one's like saying anything to me. It goes on for an hour, and afterwards, I signed books. No one says anything. Only when I got back in my car and looked in the rearview mirror before I backed out, I'm like, "Holy crap! I'm I'm hideous." So that was an example of how we don't speak the truth through words. It's very uncomfortable to tell people critical comments. So when we ask a customer, you know, what do you think about this idea? They're not going to say, that sucks. That's so stupid. I would never buy that. It's offensive. So instead people say, well, you know, I, I kind of like it or yeah, I love it. I would totally buy it. But then when you actually come to them and say, I now have this product or service or idea, would you buy it? Then they say, well, I, uh, and they get all awkward on you and they don't have the money all of a sudden. The, the key here is this. Don't ask people what they think about your stuff. They're not going to want to hurt your feelings. They're going to say positive stuff. Also, we have a natural bias to listen for the best because we, we want to hear, hear certain things. So we're going to listen to their words but interpret it in a certain way. The best way to ask customers is with a, tra a financial transaction. So when you go to your customers say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing such and such for my business. If, if this would better service you, uh, I want to know, but I want to ask this. Would you be willing to put down a deposit today on this new offering, the idea I have, of 10%? Um, and then when it comes about, uh, you'll have it, you know, I'll, I'll make it available to you for, for a discounted price or whatever. But the key here is to get money up front, to force a transaction in the beginning. That forces the truth. So don't just ask people. Ask for a, or get a transaction going right away. Great response. Yeah. We actually had a question um, in the book club just today, actually. It's from a brand new member, and I'm not sure if she's read your book or not, but she sounded like she knew what was going on, so I'm sure she's, she's well-versed in it. But one thing she asked was, if you're putting kind of all of your um, eggs in one basket, so to speak, when you're picking your, your one seed that you want to grow, 
Um, what does that do? What happens if that one seed doesn't make it? What if, you know, that seed dies and then everything is in that one seed? Um, such, what do you tell entrepreneurs? <laughs> such a good question. So uh, this is what I first discovered with pumpkin farmers. Um, when these, these guys and gals grow these colossal pumpkins, sometimes, you know, a bad storm comes through. You get a hailstorm in San Diego. You know, you get like some weird stuff that happens and uh, the, the plant dies. Sometimes pumpkins can actually grow so quickly, these colossal pumpkins, that they'll collapse under their own weight. What was fascinating when this happened was the farmers didn't give up on the process. They didn't say, well, growing colossal pumpkin doesn't work. Um, it's never going to happen for me. They immediately go back to the incubator, pick a new seed, and start again. They simply say, it wasn't my season. So they don't give up on the plan or the process. They say, it wasn't my season. Well, when I studied all these colossally successful entrepreneurs, what I discovered was the exact same thing. When someone made this quote-unquote all-in bet, um, sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes the business collapsed under its own weight. Sometimes it just wasn't their season. And the entrepreneurs responded the same way. When it didn't work, they said, well, it didn't happen this go-around, but the process was sound. The season wasn't right, but the process was sound. And then they started right from scratch, right over again, going the same way. The, the most fascinating part I found is there's only one guarantee in colossal pumpkin farming, and it's the same guarantee in entrepreneurship. You are guaranteed you will never, ever, ever grow a colossal pumpkin if you're an ordinary farmer. The farmers that spread the seeds everywhere. Like, we will never drive down the highway, pass a pumpkin farm, and see a colossal pumpkin just magically sprouting out of this huge field. It takes the concentrated effort. Well, the same thing with business. If you are a generalist in your business, if you're trying to service different types of industries, you know, the classic, I serve all kind of small, medium-sized businesses. If you say that, that means you're a generalist. If you're a generalist, you will never grow a colossal business. You have to have this focused, concentrated effort. If it doesn't work, it simply means it wasn't your season. You've got to go at it again the same way. Okay. Well, I think, uh, I think that'll give our audience here some things to think about and focusing down a little bit more on their business because I think it is really hard uh, as far as early entrepreneurs to really narrow down. So that's a great example and a great reason why they definitely need to spend the time there to get some laser focus. Jen, I'm not sure if, if you have ability to show some touts, but I think we had a couple um, tout questions for Mike. Yeah, so we've got one question over from that we're going to showcase from Sandy Sidhu of Sidekick PM. Um, so let's bring it back over here. So we've got, um, actually, we've got a couple new Instagrams up. So again, if you're on Instagram, go over to YFE Chat and you can see people that are uh, taking pictures of what's going on. And let's go ahead and hear from Sandy Sidhu. Again, if you go to tout.com, it's a 15-second short video clip that you can tout in and we can put it up on the live show. My name is Sandy Sidhu, and my question for Mike is when should you start systemizing your business? Right from the beginning when you're trying to figure out your Atlantic speed or further down the line? Thanks. Great question from Sandy. So, yeah, I like that question. Um, don't start systemizing right away. Systemizing is, is the form of automating what works. Here's the problem. Some businesses actually systemize too early, and they systemize the crappy stuff, like the stuff that's not working. They, they systemize it, and so they do the bad stuff faster. 
the first step is you got to find out what's working. So when you launch your business, you have to go in with a vision and a plan, but it may not play out that way. The key identifier that you're having success is when you start getting repeating customers. Or if you're in a unique industry where you don't get repeating customers, where customers start referring you automatically without you asking. So when you get repeating customers and or customers referring you automatically, that's an indicator that you're unique to them. You're standing out. They like you. Remember, like I said earlier, people don't speak the truth through their words. They speak the truth through their wallets, their actions. And repeating customers or referring customers are showing you through their action. Once you achieve that level, now you have something you can systemize. You've proven the process. Now start automating. Excellent. Um, along with that, I guess, um, it's the beginning of the year. People are setting goals. And I think I know that systemizing our business is one thing that's in the works for us this year. And we are trying to capitalize on you know what's been working and do more of it and help find people that can do more of it for us. What would you suggest to someone who's got you know, tons of goals and they're, you know, how do they narrow it down so that they can work on the things that matter this year? Well, pick the one thing that you're first most excited about, uh, the, the absolute most excited about it. Commit to focusing on that one thing exclusively. Um, because if you try to do everything, you're going to get marginal results. It's like, it's, it's the old jack of all trades. If you try to do many things at once, you'll never put an exceptional effort in it. And why this is so important is, uh, a great, great analogy was the uh, the Olympics with Michael Phelps. He's now the the greatest Olympian of all time, the most medals. And there was a race, I don't know if you remember, in the Beijing Olympics uh, four or five years ago where he beat uh, another swimmer by 0. .001 seconds or 0. .01 seconds, one one-hundredth of a second. He simply hit the wall faster. Well, Michael Phelps today is worth $45 million, plus he got $100 million of endorsements this past year. The guy that came in second, his name is Mikhail Gordroff, I think, he's nearly bankrupt. It's a one one-hundredth of a second difference. So it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the absolute truth of how, um, how business works. The best, the number one player in the, in the category gets all the rewards. The number two is barely remembered, and three and four, you might as well forget it. There's a disproportionate compensation or awards to the best player. Well, if, if we in our business are going to lead, we got to pick the category that excites us the most, the one thing that we can really, really distinguish ourselves on. If you push that to the umpteenth degree and you outstrip your competition, even if it's by one one-hundredth of a degree, you'll get all the rewards. It's the businesses that try to achieve all these goals simultaneously and so forth that they don't elevate themselves in front of anyone in one single category and they become forgotten. It, it sounds lopsided, but success really is picking the one or two few things and being extraordinary at it and the other things just being in the ballpark. It's interesting what you said about picking the thing that makes you the most excited. I think um, in you know, you read the blogs and you hear all this advice about what you should work on first. And some people do say, you know, work on what makes you excited. And some people say work on what, you know, when you're a bootstrapping entrepreneur and you're really trying to make it, work on what's closest to revenue first. Like what can you, how can you make some money first so that you know you can continue doing what you love? What would you, what's your opinion on that? I mean, it sounds like you, you would say go for what you're excited about first. Yeah, yeah. Because so here's why we started, all started businesses. We, we all started businesses because we said, wow, we, we can do what we want to do and make a gob of money. 
But then what happens, the reality kicks in. It's like, holy crap, I, I got to make money freaking fast. And we forget <laughs> about what we love. And then we become a slave to making money. And if you focus on that, you start to resent and hate your business. Why did I ever do this? I regret it. I'm not making enough money. And it's very, very difficult. I would say it's impossible to excel because no matter what you do to make money, if there's someone else in that field, and there always is, that loves that field, that really loves what they're doing, they're going to outwork you. They're going to have more stamina, more energy. Our passion doesn't bring about success. Our passion brings about persistence, and persistence brings about success. So that's why you got to do what you freaking love. And when you do what you love, you will bring about persistence. And that persistence will ultimately put you that one one hundredth in front of the competition, and you'll blow it out. You're not going to make – I've never seen people make money overnight by doing what they're passionate about, but I have seen people become happy and content in their business overnight by doing their passion about. And ultimately, maybe it's five years, maybe it's a couple, maybe it's 10 years, but ultimately, financially, those people are rewarded the most by a hundredfold. Yeah, I think we're all looking for the, the way that we can be passionate and be happy doing what we're passionate about. So you're right, if, if you end up getting there and you get the money, but you're still not happy, you're still going to be seeking that thing that you're looking for that you started with in the first place. So. It's very unsatisfying, like, and I, I've actually been there. So I, I have been very fortunate. I sold two companies. I made a lot of money, and uh, it, it wasn't fulfilling. Which, which, which I was on the other side first. I was like, "Well, how can you not be fulfilled? You're a millionaire. I see all these millionaire people. They're probably just like living the life." No, it still sucks. Um, money is a vehicle or a tool. To, to bring happiness. Um, but the only way to get happiness is to do what you're passionate about. So if you do first what you're passionate about, the, as the money comes around, it's a vehicle to even do more about what you're passionate about and, and grow. And it was a very hard lesson for me to learn. Um, but I'm telling you, do what your life's calling is. You know, God-given or what you've defined. I don't care how you feel that you have a life's purpose, but identify what your life's purpose is Make the business an amplification of that, a representation of that. Grow into it, and, and you're going to kick ass. Like, I don't care how much business experience I have. If someone goes into something they're passionate about and I come into that field, you're going to kick my ass. Even though I have all this experience, all this money backing me, the person that's more passionate wins every single time. Mike, you are very tweetable. I don't know. We can't see Twitter, <laughs> so we're not sure who's tweeting what, but I am sure that you are being um, – Quoted on Twitter right this moment. So thank you. That was awesome. Very good uh, advice. Absolutely. And I love that you use the word ask because we have the ask kicking action method and we use it quite often ourselves and we appreciate somebody who appreciates that word. Um, you know, I think this actually ties into a question that we have in the green room here uh, that somebody has sent in and texted. So Tiffany Silverberg is saying, you know, how do you start? Um, where do you start hiring? So again, if you're doing what you're passionate about, They'll come back on. Yeah, I, lo I we lost them. kind of up a little bit. Where do you start picking where to hire? What was the best hire you've ever like? What was their best first hire? I would My be interested. Best, his name was Shaq. Actually, his name was Sankara, but uh, Sankara he was from um, Chennai, India, and when he came on board, uh, he was a he's about five feet tall, and I <laughs> I brought him on board. I love to nickname people. And I said, uh, Shaq, I said, uh, Sankara, your nickname is Shaq. And he looks at me and goes, 
but uh, Shaq is very tall. And I said, exactly. <laughs> um, but why Shaq? And we're, we're still great friends today. Um, we're, my wife and I are having dinner with him and his wife. Uh, we no longer work together. I, I sold that company, and, and he stayed with the company that bought us. Um, love him. And why he was so remarkable was, well, first of all, he's a remarkable person. But I even wrote an article about him in the Wall Street Journal. But what it was is that he and I share the exact same, what I call, mutable laws. Most people call them values. I wanted to give my own unique name and spin because that's who I, that's how I roll. So I call them immutable laws. But immutable laws are, are simply this. What are the guidelines you are using to run your life? Because these are the same guidelines for your business. One of my favorite immutable laws is I have a, a rule. It's right on my desk right here. It says no dicks allowed. I, I believe life is too short to deal with dicks. I'm not going to ever be a dick. No dicks allowed. Well, Shaq has the same philosophy. When he came into my business, and this, this company, we did computer crime investigation. It was my second company. Shaq had no background or experience in it, but he had the intangibles, extremely intelligent, um, great attitude, great energy, and we share the same values. When you hire somebody, hire based upon the intangibles. You can't give people intelligence. You can't give attitude or energy. You cannot give them their value. But if they have all those things, values that match yours and all those other intangibles, the one thing you can give them is experience. You can give them the training. So I, I find resumes are a bunch of, of bullpups. So you don't need resumes. The re resumes simply point to experience. Often you have to untrain people to train the way you want to do things. Hire on the intangibles and then give them experience. So what kind of questions would you ask if you were interviewing someone as your first employee? And obviously it's a big deal for you to, you know, to hire somebody, um, your first employee. What questions would you ask someone to figure out you know, what are their values? Do you straight up ask them what do you value or, or how do you do that? Yes, then people try to – if I ask people, hey, so what are your values? They'll say, oh, I believe hard work. No, you get all those cheesy answers. Um, all of us have patterns. So how we behaved five years ago is likely how we're behaving today. How we behaved 10 or 20 years ago is likely how we're behaving today. So basically you do what's called a pattern interview. So when I sat down with Shaq. I said, hey, tell me, tell me about like high school, when you went through high school 10 years or 15 years ago. He was you know, a younger guy. And I said, what, what was it like? And he tells me some stories. I said, how, how did you feel about your, your professor? Tell me about your favorite professor. And he told me, I said, tell me about your worst professor or teacher. What was that like? And why didn't you like them? Now recognize a professor is the boss in a high school or a college setting. This is what potentially can perceive me. And he told me how he had this one boss that he really didn't like, and how he tried to manage that relationship, and then what he did, how he um, navigated it when the relationship just wasn't working, how he communicated. And his one favorite boss, what, what he liked about him, I said, well, tell me, what did you like about the boss? What resonated with him? And he told me. Then I asked him about later on in his life. I said, tell me about your first job. Tell me about your boss. What did you like about him? And every time I asked, what did you like about the, your favorite people, he was basically sharing his values because we like in others stuff that's like us. And then when I asked him what he didn't like in other people, he was identifying stuff that he, he was, would not stand for. So that's one of many of the pattern interviews I did with Shaq over time to learn his value system. And it sounds like that same pattern uh, interview style could work with finding a good partner or collaboration partner, too, for people who are looking to do projects together. 
it's a great way for clients. So I, I are you crazy, Mike? If someone knocks on your door with money, you got to grab it. No, you you don't want to grab take money from someone that's going to beat you over the head. Um, we all and it's a shame we all do it. Like we all have these clients that that pay us basically nothing. Often our lowest paying client that just sucks the life out of us. Why? Why did we take them on? Because we looked at the money aspect, but we didn't look at their values, their immutable laws. So we should be interviewing and filtering every face we have, every cut, every part. I value immutable laws. I call them so much that everything I do has a contest. When I my website, every page that went up, one of the tests was, is this fix a loud web? Like, well, this- <laughs> so, if- oh, I think we might have lost. I think we. Sound. I think Mike's mic was going in and out a little bit, so maybe um, he'll be up. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm still. There we go. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for sharing all the information that you have tonight, giving some additional insights into you know, what was behind the book and kind of, I love that you actually lived this philosophy. It wasn't something you went out and just kind of learned. I love that you really have put this of writing of yourself, writing of what you believe in. And, uh, and I think everybody in our book club, I know got just a ton of actionable value out of it. And, and we did too. So I really thank you for it. Oh, my pleasure, and I, I appreciate you all taking the time to, to read the book. I truly, truly hope it serves you, and I really wish tremendous success for, for every entrepreneur in your, in your club and every entrepreneur because the more success you have, it will fight success. They're going to see you rock rolling, doing well, and inspire. So just go out there and kick some ass. All right, yeah, and we'll be looking forward to your next book that we can uh, plug into the book club and kick some more ass with it. You got it. <laughs> All right. So we were just listening to Jules and Christina. Jules and Christina, thank you so much for interviewing Mike. Mike, again, such an honor to have you on the show. We're all such huge fans of yours. Thank you. An absolute pleasure. Sorry for the technical difficulties. <laughs> eh, we made we made it work, right? We made it work. Yeah. So it, it's all good. So, again, uh, let's go ahead and run you down with a couple. Um, not run you down. <laughs> I said that wrong. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're going to do a rundown of a couple links for you guys to make sure that you copy and paste and you put over to Twitter. Make sure that you share um, this book with others because I, if nothing else, this interview was hilarious. So one funny story. Okay. Funny story. I I listen to business books uh, using Audible in my ears when I'm, um, you know, in my little headphones in my ears um, when I'm on the treadmill or at the gym. And listening to Mike's book, I cracked up like out loud like at least three times every time I went to the gym to read the book and people would look at me. I'm like, what? (laughs) It was always kind of embarrassing. And so during Mike's conversation, the producer was trying really hard not to laugh the entire time too. So it's a funny book. Um, Go to Mike McAllitz. Let's make sure that we have the link down there so you guys can note it and tweet it out. Um, If you go to his website, there's information about how you can find the book. Also his speaking gigs that are coming up. Um, Definitely want to see this guy in person at some point. He's funny. He makes entrepreneurship a little less um, frustrating, stressful, make you want to drink a glass of wine kind of a experience. Um, and then, of course, the 
Bootstrap Book Club, make sure that you join. It's a free club. I mean, it's why not? And it's the exclusive book club that Young Female Entrepreneurs sends our community over to. That's at kickstartkitchen.com slash book club. And of course, if you haven't liked YFE on Facebook yet, make sure that you go over to facebook.com slash Entrepreneur. It's always a fun way to stay connected with you guys. And if you have questions, uh, message them over, and we usually shoot them out to the community to do some peer-to-peer mentorship with. So again, you know, thank you so much, everyone, for showing up live, for participating in the chats, for tweeting. We're going to get started with our after party shortly. Make sure that you tune in next Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, every Thursday throughout 2013 we've got some insane guests I mean Mike is just the starting point of this it's gonna it's gonna be an awesome year for YFE and thank you all again for showing up Uh, this has been episode 44 my name is Jennifer Dono and you've been watching young female entrepreneurs live I'll see you next Thursday